all those things were just stories I was telling myself, you know, they were like images that I was conjuring to make my mind and my body do something. But the power of it was love. And that was, that's what I realized is so apparent is that if you want intrinsic motivation, it has to come from love. Welcome to the Artist Becoming Podcast. Hey, Jess. Hey, Shelby, a five, six, seven, eight. Join us in weekly conversations with performing artists across stages, studios, rings, fields, and screens. Every conversation, a chance to dive deep into the story of their becoming. All right, Shelby, let's get on into it. This episode's conversation features our guest, Dylan Moscovich, an Olympic pairs figure skater, mindset and wellness coach, and a true artist becoming. Here we go. A little note up top to let you know that the sound quality is not as ideal on this episode as Dylan was recording live from Wimbledon. How cool is that that I even get to say those words? But it's filled to the brim with golden insights and it's not a conversation you're going to want to miss. So we apologize up top and thank you so much for understanding. Cannot wait for you to hear this beautiful conversation. Hello and welcome Dylan Moscovich to Artists Becoming. We are so excited to chat with you today. Thank you for joining us live from Wimbledon. Thanks for having me. I'm very pumped to be here. Well, for our audience to know, uh, Dylan is an extraordinary human being with a magnetic presence, even from across the globe. Um, He is an Olympic medalist, a former um, Paris skater, and Mm -hmm. we are so excited to just hear about the journey that led you to literally where you're sitting right now. Um, But just to kind of ground our conversation today, would you mind walking us through a little bit kind of the key or significant moments or pivot points of your career as an artistic athlete, what, um, what fueled you, what relationships kind of inspired you to follow the journey that you ended up designing for yourself? Uh, first off, thank you for that glowing introduction. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel like I should record that and put that on like my Instagram page or something. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I, it was a, it was a long road. I started skating at two. Um, and I think at five, my mom said, she asked if I wanted to go to the Olympics. I said, no, I want to win the Olympics. So kind of like my earliest memories skating has been involved. I don't really have any memories prior to figure skating in my life. Um, yeah, you know, it, I, I competed in singles um, and it was Kurt Browning and Elvis Stoiko, Canadian icons that really inspired me in different ways. Uh, I loved Kurt Browning's showmanship and his, uh, his fluidity and his grace on the ice. And I love Elvis Stoiko's strength and his power and his uh, I am who I am. I don't care what you think kind of attitude, you know, and they were just such great role models to have um, as a young skater in Canada. Uh, but I, I actually switched to Paris skating when I was about 18 or so. I started skating with my, um, my youngest sister, Kira, uh, and she was nine years younger than me. So that was kind of my intro to Paris. I did like little kid pairs uh, when I was very young, but it doesn't really count. Like I skated with my other sister and she was taller than me. So like I wasn't really lifting her, <laughs> um, but yeah, that was like the in, the intro to my professional pair career, my higher level pair career. And I skated with her for six years. 
uh, and then skated with Kirsten Moore Towers for five years, uh, which is who I went to the Sochi Olympics with. And then um, shortly after that, we split and I skated with Lubov Ilyushchkina from Russia for uh, four years. So bringing me to the end of my career at 2018 uh, when I was 33. So really long, really long time in figure skating and kind of um, it feels like a different life looking back on it now. But uh, there were so many different relationships that were instrumental. You know, my family was so supportive, so many friends that, you know, when you're when you're in something that long, inevitably it's a pyramid effect there you know there's people that are part of your journey for a certain amount of time but their lives take them elsewhere and and you just with a lot of stubbornness keep going um but you know they support you along the way and they're instrumental trainers coaches all different uh people it really does take a village for sure wow oh i have like 12 follow-up questions from just what you just spoke to um I don't even know where to begin, but that no, having that drive to win, you're talking five years old and having already the seed of that goal or that dream is just enormous. Um, but I'm curious to ask you because you started, so you started in singles, skating solo, kind of that's, that's your own drive. And you moved into this kind of partnered space. So I'm curious to know, um, what did that, what was that shift in dynamic in your mentality from going to being this kind of lone wolf to having this kind of partner dynamic and with your sister and with these various women that you worked with? Did you have, were there kind of lessons of relationship and boundaries and like learning how to work as a unit and how to manage your own goals with someone else? Talk us through that because that's just a really interesting lens it's different from a dancer's career where they're, they're kind of always a lone wolf in a sense, like partners come and go, but that's a really interesting dynamic. Yeah. It's um, I mean, that's a good question. It, it's the thing, one of the things that I think makes pairs and ice dance and figure skating so unique to other sports and also to many other performing uh, art forms. The, the switch from singles to pairs is um, it actually came from, fairly naturally to, to me I'm the oldest of four and so that kind of because I was also skating with my sister who's nine years younger she was uh she was nine when we started so it was very much uh at the beginning this cute kind of like caretaker role um and then we eventually we moved away from home and we're living uh away from our family together and so at the age of I think I was maybe 20, 21. I was her partner, her big brother, her parents, her caretaker, you know, like taking her to school and making sure she was doing her homework. And it was a very unique relationship um, that required a lot of, um, a lot of me, I think more than I allowed myself to acknowledge at that time. Uh, so it forced me to grow up, but it also, it made my relationship to skating a bit different. And I think our relationship with each other a bit different. You know, she, she hit her teens when we were skating together and she liked to piss me off on purpose because she thought it was funny. You know, so these were some of the things that like our professional relationship had to endure, uh, which makes it really bizarre. But then even moving into other partnerships, um, it, it's very unique. You're together six days a week. 
uh, everything you do is reliant on each other and you hold the keys to each other's hopes and dreams in your hands. And so there's, there's a certain level of trust, not just physically speaking, but in terms of your commitment, in terms of your, uh, your mindset, you know, how in it are you, how willing are you to make sacrifices, not just for your own uh, improvement, but also for being there for your partner and showing displays of commitment and gestures of, you know, this is the most important thing to me too. Uh, and I think it's, it's very complex it's beyond our normal labels of relationships. You know, it's definitely more intimate than a friendship or a business partnership. Um, sometimes it's romantic. It was never in my case. Um, but it's also more intimate than anything but romantic. It's, so it's, it's kind of like an arranged marriage in a way. Yeah. Uh, where sometimes you fall in love and sometimes you don't. Yeah. Um, but you kind of, you kind of like, enter into this thing knowing that okay now you are an extension of me overnight wow that's so cool and it's so complicated you know I feel like it's there's definitely a a smaller population of siblings in partnership in dance companies as well and I find that it's um it it just blurs so many boundaries, right? Because it's like family and profession and personal and aspirational. And now you're not only having to be intrinsically motivated on your own behalf, but on behalf of your partner as well. And I, in, in romantic relationships and any other relationship, actually, you can only really control how you show up for it, which is the same in, I would imagine in pair skating and ice dancing and everything like that and ballet as well. But there's so much more at stake when it's not just hoping to have a good performance for a paying audience. Like you guys are hoping to make Olympic trials. You are literally going to the Olympics. You are, you know, both of your, the aspirations and dreams of your five-year-old selves are at stake. Um, And you're, you're skating out onto the ice with your sister's hand in yours. Like that is just insane. I mean, that's super insane. Um, and really cool to think about. I'd love to know. So you've been retired for like three years now, roughly. Yeah. Just over three years. Okay. I love how you said it feels like another life ago, because that really resonates when I reflect on my own career as a performing athlete, which was five years ago now. And, um, I returned to these cities where I once performed and it just, it feels almost like a dream that I have like a very clear memory of, but I'm not quite sure that I actually lived it. Um, I love to know just because on this topic of relationships, how's your, how has your relationship with your sister and your partners at large changed um, beyond the ice or, or has it? Um, each of those partnerships have a very different relationship post skating. Uh, with my sister, we stopped, she retired at like 14, 15. Okay. So she went through you know, a major life overhaul at a very young age after being on the senior national team, she was in like high school. And, uh, you know, our lives kind of went in different directions, but our bond is definitely forever changed from that experience. Um, I mean, you can't, you move, you know, you move on with life and you don't really visit the past that much. I mean, I don't visit the past all that much. Um, but once in a while, you know, a little memory jogger and it's like, oh, wow. I, yeah, I, that, was a, that was a really um, 
monumental time in our lives together. And that's something that we will forever share. And it's the same with the other partnerships. I mean, my second partner, Kirsten Moore Towers, she went on to skate with someone else and competed against me and my following partner. So that made the relationship kind of interesting. And it took us a little bit of time before we reconnected and worked through those things. Uh, it ended kind of suddenly and it was, uh, yeah, it was difficult. Yeah. But, um, and then my last partner, uh, it was definitely, oh, photo bump. It was definitely um, my choice to retire and she wanted to keep going. So she finding another partner after doing Cirque du Soleil on ice. So her relationship with skating stayed current. My person is still competing. Um, so my relationship with, with them is kind of like a touch in once yeah. in a while, see how our things are going. But uh, my relation, it's kind of relative to my relationship with skating, which is a very, very different one now. So it's, uh, it's not at the forefront of my life, um, but they are people that w I've, I've shared some of the most important times uh, ever with, you know, in, in my existence. I, I'm so, I, I'm curious, I know we're going to get there, but I'm curious now that you have kind of shifted away from skating, um, how the place that you're in right now, the new perhaps vision and dreams you hold, how your shape, how your history has shaped this kind of new way forward for you. But before we get there, because I, I want to go back and ask you about this drive to win, because um, I'm curious to know, like, what, what did that drive, that kind of concept of winning, that kind of fight, what did that feel like in your body, in your heart? And how was that, how did that motivate or hinder you or challenge you? Like, what was your relationship to this concept of winning? Because it's a complicated, you know, very complicated. How, how much time do we have? Uh, this is, this is something that I've spent a lot of time on, especially in the last year and a half, just with a, a ton of curiosity. I've, I've just kind of thrown myself headfirst into exploring the parts of this that I was asleep to uh, in terms of my awareness of. So my perspective on this is wildly different now than it was then. I'll try and put myself back in that, Dylan. Give it all, like I, get, get into the- I'll chronologically get there. Okay. The, so yeah. the, yeah, the Dylan then, skating was like life, you know? They were like, I woke up in the morning and that was, my reason for being my existence was to skate and um i think my my desire to win was then it was just i didn't even question it was just like no that's just what i want to do i want to be the best you know and looking back on it i mean it, there's a lot of there's a lot to unpack there i think societal structures i think uh voids inside myself that I wasn't aware of, uh, acceptance. Um, but the Dylan then it was like, it, it was, su it's such a noble thing to me. It was like, I had this purpose and I was so lucky. And I, I, I still believe that I was very lucky to feel that amount of purpose at such a young age. Um, but that is, you know, that is how I identified myself. I was Dylan, the figure skater, not anything else. And 
the idea of not achieving that goal was just not acceptable. Um, and so it was my first love, you know, it was my, it was my deepest relationship. I think at times, including with my family, which is <laughs> kind of unhealthy, but uh, you know, that, that feeling of it not happening drove me that feeling of it happening drove me that feeling of seeing someone just ahead of me, even if they had to work less, made me work so much harder. And I just, I became obsessed with intox and intoxicated by improvement and at times burned myself out. Um, almost like borderline obsessive kind of uh, behaviors at times. Um, but also learning, learning what I was capable of, you know, that, those little, the, the better you get at something, the more work for the less movement. Um, and those like microscopic uh, progressions took everything I had. And I loved that. I fell in love with the science of being an athlete. I, the, the minute details of performance and the way we got judged on little intricacies or our transitions. And the better I got, the more I fell in love with the the quality of skating, the quality of movement, the quality of musicality. Um, and skating is so infinite in that ability that there is no perfection. So there's a nonstop drive for better, which I know dancers understand. Um, and it was, it was an interesting evolution to go from feeling more like an athlete to falling in love with becoming a performer, which inevitably led me into acting when I retired. Um, now looking back on it, um, I wish I had a little more insight as to uh, clean fuel to motivate myself. You know, anything that would burn and get me there was good. And I don't necessarily think that feeds the soul anymore. And at the end of the day, we're so much bigger than just that label that, you know, performing human trying to, you know, fit into what we deem good yeah. almost arbitrarily. I think sometimes it's, it's, uh, you know, philosophically speaking, it's very bizarre to kind of look at us dancing around on ice with blades on our feet and being judged by people more than half of who have never been able to do it. And so, we, you know, we hold our self-esteem, our self-worth and their opinions and uh, based on sometimes luck, you know, other skaters go out and they have to perform on that day. Who is on top at that time in the world? It's like, there's so many factors involved that I wish I took the time to actually acknowledge more because I might've, I might've savored moments a little differently. Mm -hmm. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. I have one more question. I have one more question to follow up and then I'll give it to Shelby. But I want to just ask you when you were talking about the, um, the factors in, um, this like drive to win and the kind of pressures of that, did, was there anything in associated with like your masculinity that played a role in that, in that sort of drive? Because that's, that's been kind of an interesting, like, I do think there's a certain pressure and, and in that space, I'm curious to know how it differs perhaps from the conversations we've had with some dancers, but how was that, how was your role with your masculinity in this kind of art form that's as an athlete dancing with women? I'm just curious to know 
if that was part of this that, that's a huge that's a huge question that's a big one uh one that i've no it's it's great it's very stimulating i've got lots to say about it uh especially having more realizations about it now the hindsight is give it to us dylan <laughs> okay all right well you know growing up in canada as a male figure skater at at hockey rinks while I played hockey as well was very challenging at times, very challenging. Um, and I'm such a sensitive person and I, and naturally it would just crush me being teased or whatever. And I, I uh, man, I wasted so much energy dealing with it. Oh man. Um, and, but you know, in some ways looking back on it, it fueled me. Like I wanted to, I wanted to be something better so that it somehow justified it. And in that sense, I think it's very interesting to see the way some successful people are usually doing it from a place of pain. Um, there's this like motivating factor of like trying to counter something that you struggle with. I think that was definitely part of it. I think pairs also gave me this avenue of putting on more muscle and feeling more powerful in the world. And feeling stronger and feeling like the rock and the partnership also made me feel like a stronger person, um, which, you know, helped my self-esteem. But uh, I think all competitive athletics does feed the ego in an unhealthy way in some capacity. Um, yeah, it was something that, but it also taught me to, to, to stick to my guns and trust my gut and be be who I am unapologetically. And it took a while to get there, but I learned it as I went. And I'm very grateful that I didn't fold and I didn't crumble under it, that it, it made me into who I am in a lot of ways. Um, you know, skating, skating, you're doing your routine and like some hockey guys come in the rink and are like banging on the glass and laughing and... <sighs> Man, it, you know, and, and they're, just, they're just doing what they're taught to do. They're kids and they're raised by someone who taught them to do that. Um, so it, I've learned to really find a lot of compassion for that. But it's, uh, it's interesting because it taught me to focus really, really hard. You know, when you're competing and you guys know this, the performance is going bad and you have to just show must go on. Yeah. And you can just, you can just feel it. It's like, there's this blanket of energy that's changed in the room and you're in the middle of it. Um, but you have to keep going. And I think it's one of the most valuable lessons that performing and something can give you in life is to, you know, put a smile on and it's not to not acknowledge your struggles, but that like, you're going to be okay and keep going yeah. uh, is such a valuable tool. Looking back on it, um, yeah, I started doing Kung Fu at 19. That really helped me with my focus. That was like one of the turning points in my career. I think because it built self-esteem because I felt more secure in the world. I got bullied a decent amount at school and I had a couple run-ins in high school. Like a guy got kicked out of school for threatening me. And I always felt like my skating came first. Don't get in a fight. Don't don't get in trouble. Don't ruin your image. Don't, you know, all these different things. Don't hurt yourself. Like all of these different things. And so I felt like this shame a little bit, this like vulnerability in the world that I didn't, I didn't like when I started martial arts that kind of filled me with this, this feeling of, 
um, power, I guess. Uh, so it was Kung Fu and I worked with all the story coach teacher, Glenn Doyle, who like changed my mindset on everything. And then I was doing uh, Krav Maga, which is an Israeli martial art. And so I was teaching that for a while. Uh, so I'd be like working on carjacking scenarios in the back alley at night and be like, guys, I got to run to ballet class. And, you know, but it was like, they were just like, I don't, I don't understand. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. But it was, it was really interesting to, to learn the power of that duality and being solid about who I am, regardless of these labels huge lesson for me the big lesson now is i finished i went into acting i love it i love performing but i realized part of it was because i wasn't i wasn't over needing to be seen i wasn't over needing to be special or do something beyond the the average whatever that means uh and that was an unhealthy fuel um my workouts stayed very intense but became a little bit more aesthetically driven i am now recovering from a shoulder injury because of it yeah um and have lost like a, about 15 20 pounds of muscle in the last six months and it's been such a like such an eye-opening experience to realize how much my ego was tied to certain things without me really realizing or, or acknowledging it and how much skating gave me um this feeling of security in the world and how much martial arts gave me this feeling of security in the world and now having to surrender some of it has been this like transformative experience in in self-love and self-acceptance um that i'm currently still adjusting to uh but yeah i thought i thought i would share that it's been it's been very interesting very very interesting dylan you are singing our sweet song like just <laughs> finger on the pulse of it all and just such great questions. Um, couple of reflections, trying to attempting to weave in a few different themes that you just offered. And one is this concept of clean fuel, which I, I love that language. I've never, um, I've never put those two words together to express, um, the importance of the quality of the ingredients that we're putting in. Um, but also, I kind of want to tie that to this idea of motivation, which Jess and I were speaking about recently, the differences between intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. And, you know, the, what I call the bully race, like you're basically chased by bullies all the way up until all of a sudden you're on top and they all become irrelevant, but they don't become irrelevant until you're on top and your top is not going it's not going to be obvious. Like it might take a minute for you to even realize that you've arrived there, but, um, I'd love to know kind of the, clearly you you were born with intrinsic motivation. Like at two, at five, you knew what you were going to do. Um, not what you wanted to do, but what you were going to do. So inner drive is not really something that you can make up, I find, but outer drive is. And we've, you know, we've all been raised in a very socially conditioned American competitive elbows out environment. I know you're in Canada, but like just North of us. Um, and it's interesting to me how you, allowed and permitted those different types and sources of fuel to inform your experience as an athlete, as an artist, um, as a curious human being that looked, that sought out ways to, to supplement your own technical training and aspiration with something that would maybe remove you from the competitive atmosphere like Krav Maga did or, um, 
how, how did, once you started incorporating those mindful practices into your regimen, did you find that that gave you some type of energy or power over your energy when you got out onto the ice? Like, was there a shift in how you showed up for your sport different? Yeah. Okay. So there's a, there's a few things that I'll try and, um, so to start with what you just finished with in terms of, uh, that mindfulness practice and the mindset, I think what, and it was the interesting thing was Kung Fu came from a battle perspective. Mm. So it's, it's the same with all mindfulness and meditative practices. It's about getting to know yourself and connecting deeper and finding stillness and presence and all of that is extremely useful you know when when time kind of becomes irrelevant and bends and shifts and your experience of something is really hard to even describe properly um you know when you're under the gun performing and skating with two and a half minutes and four and a half minutes and sometimes like your entire life comes down to those moments with any moments within there that can like completely eradicate all your work yeah if you're you know looking at it that way I think what it really gave me was a belief in myself. I learned to, um, I learned to say, yes, you can. And I got addicted to saying, yes, you can to the most challenging obstacles possible. And I, and I used it in my everyday life and it mirrored in my skating. So I, I kind of decided to adopt this like warrior lifestyle, this mindset of yes, I can, no matter what. And, um, that was how I showed up. And when it was too hard, that's where I felt like, then it's just right for me. And I would tell myself that, and I would, you know, practice dealing with traffic frustrations with dealing with fights with my family arguments, you know, like whatever, trying to be like, how can I make myself a stronger athlete? How can I make myself more present? And all of these kind of mindset practices were something that I became so in love with. And I think that's why they worked because I was fully in. I started working with a, a PhD in neurology. So she, we did like biofeedback with um, electrodes, hooked up to the brain and different games and visualization. And it was just like another outlet for me to, to win at building my mind. And so when I would go to competitions, I would go around feeling like I was the most trained and I was the most ready. Like there was no one in my mind, there was no one else that could like be this ready and this strong. Comparing myself to other people was probably not the greatest thing, but that's how I kind of did it. The interesting thing is looking from this perspective on clean fuel, on what that means. And, you know, looking at the things I used to do sometimes, you know, movies like Rocky and, uh, movies where like there's these action heroes saving the world and overcoming these crazy like I I believed I was like that I was like a special forces kind of like intense guy that could get through anything and, and that did it for me that made me feel like I could always push through um, I would be on the elliptical and I would be listening to movie soundtracks and like emotional and at the end like you know like I know, I remember before the Olympics, I did this like one cardio session and I like cried at the end of it because I just pictured my Olympic dream coming true over and over and over, you know, and seeing all the people that had been part of my journey and them being proud of me. And that was so important to me. Wow. And I think looking back on it, 
it was all those things were just stories I was telling myself, you know, they were like images that I was conjuring to make my mind and my body do something. Um, but the power of it was love. And that was, that's what I realized is so apparent is that if you're, if you want intrinsic motivation, it has to come from love. You have to love what you're doing. You have to have love for yourself. You have to have like the essence of what love is, which is a very powerful force moving towards your growth. And I think if I had understood that differently, I might've experienced it differently, but I'm happy looking back that I had it because I don't think I would have made, I didn't have enough natural talent to make it without it. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh my God, you are speaking to my heart. And I, I had a question that I wanted to ask and you just, you moved right back towards it, which was so amazing because I was thinking about the last question in regards you, what, what's come up a lot is like the ego and these labels and ego might be an, a, a newer, it might not be as comfortable of a word for some of our audience or maybe for others, or we might know it in a certain context. But I think the context that we can are discussing in this space is the story we're telling ourselves, the story we're attaching to, the labels we're placing on ourselves, this mask, this identity, this kind of veil that is who it is serving as our identity that we are choosing rather than and allowing to guide us rather than perhaps that kind of soul essence, that like inner real guiding light, which you're speaking to is when it, when it drips down, it's that love. Right. And I, these labels or this ego that we're attaching to in your case, or in the case of this conversation, we're talking about first it's skater, then it's Olympian, then it's partner. Then it's even when we talked about masculinity, it's, well, I'm the rock. Like I'm the rock. That's, that's all kind of attaching to this story and, and restricting from certain parts of yourself or from certain parts of your growth. But what I was going to ask was that kind of in this new chapter, as you're, you're having these revelations or this understanding, you're going through this shedding, you're going through this experience of kind of looking back at the past and coming into this new sense of self into your future um, into your present, as you've started to remove maybe the ego, or you've started to look back at that story and that narrative, what is it that you're finding, I guess, like at the core of it? I don't know. This is a very esoteric question, but I keep going. I, I love going. I know I you're so with me. Right I know you're with me. I just want you to spell out the seat of your soul, please. <laughs> <laughs> it's just to say like, um, yeah, I, we talk about this in our workshop and with our artists to say, I'm just going to hand it this over to you. I'm going to hand these collection of thoughts over to you and let you work with that. <laughs> okay. Um, you breathe and therefore you're enough, I guess is the best way to put it, you know, and that is such a hard thing to, to arrive at from this kind of a lifestyle where your, your sense of self is completely tied in uh, and a measurement, an external idea that is like, you know, a bunch of humans agreed upon. So we're like, yeah, no, that's reality. That's, that's real. When in actuality, it's just a, a collective subjective. It doesn't, it doesn't actually exist unless we all agree it does. But breath in our lungs exists, being exists, 
nature exists. These are all things that I now understand differently. And I think, you know, how free could you perform if it doesn't really have any bearing on your worth as a human being? If it actually and that is, matter. if it doesn't it's matter. Su- yeah. It's such a powerful place to come from, yeah. which I, no one talks about in sports. No one talks about, they're like, oh, you're, you know, it's fine. It's okay. But they don't explain why. Because no one, no one, I mean, not no one, sorry. A lot of people don't take the time to go there. They're not aware of going there or they're not, they're not ready to go there. It's an ego dissolution is not an easy thing. You know, it, it is, it takes, it's painful. It's painful to realize that everything you thought you were isn't, is just a, a, a collaboration of your ideas and your labels. You know, you're like a mosaic of all these random things that you grab onto. Um, I've been reading The Untethered Soul and that's like what I've been kind of working through right now and applying it to myself and also being on the professional women's tennis tour. It is so fascinating to witness sports from this perspective and my fiance is competing and helping her through these things and like her finding a balance of her own spiritual evolution and awareness of herself while at the same time having to do it at a certain pace because like you can't just like go out on the court and be looking around and like you know oh the sky is so pretty like you're you know someone trying to take your head off with a tennis ball so um but freedom comes from your willingness to be brave enough to let go of these ideas that it matters that much and that bravery gives you so much power because now you are living in the present instead of fear of the future. And fear of the future steals your peace in the present moment. And your peace is where your best performance comes from. And that's what I keep arriving at. And that's what I keep seeing. And it's, it's like, people are like, oh, don't, don't get, you'll scramble my brain. Don't, I just want to hit the ball that bounces at me. Yes, when you're on the court, do that. Mm-hmm. When you're on the stage, be present, just dance, feel the music, whatever, you know? But like why, why cut yourself short and not visit understanding who and what you are? Yeah. Oh, I was just gonna say like, this is the question that we're here, that we are arriving at. Like the question that we're arriving at as a unit here in this moment is how in that performing art or that athletic career where you're so externally motivated how do we bring what all of us were able to tap into after those careers and so desperately wish we could have been nourished by within? Like, I know we can all sit from this place and go, if I had maybe known a little, just even a crumb of what I've started to understand today about my core, my core self, the feeling I could have danced with or the way I could have executed, like just, how I could have arrived in those moments would have been so different. So how do we, how do we, how do we bring that to people that are inside of that moment right now who only really believe I'll do that when I'm done? You know, it's like, how do we create this space for this self-discovery and this empowerment, this type of bravery that we're talking about, you know, for someone, that's what we're arriving at. I'm glad, I'm glad that you discerned that just because I was just thinking about how 
when you know your career is finite as a performing artist, as an athlete, when you know what your goal looks like, the top of the mountain looks like, which is very rare, especially being super young to like know what that peak looks like, that it is almost impossible to not just race, think of it as a race to the finish. And it's why I'm seeing this pattern across retired athletes, retired artists or artist athletes at the end of their career where, yeah, in retrospect, it's also clear, like shoulda, woulda, coulda shown up differently presently when your eyes are on that prize and they have to be in order to make it. So it's not to like diminish the logistics of that path and the ascension towards the top of your mountain, but it's to say like, okay, here we are all sitting very proud of the careers that we held, but also with a completely different toolbox through which we're now unpacking our careers in a very mindful and proactive and powerful way. Um, How can we let share those tools and how can they translate in proactive ways to help people that are like sooner in their, in their journeys, I guess. That's a hard. And when we're looking back, we're seeing not what we're, what we're realizing is what, what we're, what we're, what we're speaking to is it's not, it wasn't our careers. It was ourselves. Mm-hmm. So it's, that's what it is. It wasn't our, it was ourselves, you know, it was our love. So it, it just, I think going. it's a reflection of our culture's values, our society's values. And that sounds like a bit of a cop out on a bit, on a large scale, I think where our world is makes it very hard to foster that kind of mentality because we are taught from the very beginning that the only way to be happy is to be the best at something so you have enough money to buy something that will give you this joy like we're inundated with information nonstop about material things or external things being the source of our joy which it doesn't happen that way it doesn't work that way uh, I mean momentarily sure um, but I think in terms of the community of performance the community of sport and, and art I think it's individuals like yourselves you know fostering that kind of a mentality and and wanting to wanting to help others arrive there themselves like you, the thing with this kind of a mentality is you can't be you can't be told it and have that realization. You can be guided, but you have to, you have to do the work. You have to surrender yourself to letting go of this idea that you hold so tightly onto, which is scary, right? Like I've always done it this way and I know what I can get out of myself. So why would I change it? Yeah. Yes. That's, that's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. And it is going to be messy. Like it is, yeah. it is that thing of like, you are going to sacrifice. Yeah. There is going to be a sacrifice. Things are. And the, and the strong mindedness of individuals who pursue to this level, like you, you can't just be casual about it. Your mindset is ranging from like severe to extremely severe. You know, it, it's <laughs> like on the lower end, you're severe. Um yeah. breaking through that is someone has to be open to it and willing i think i think the artist world is definitely more open to it because surrender into surrendering and i i, I really attribute acting to a large portion of me getting back in touch with my sensitivity and my emotionality and realizing that everything i feel as a human being is my palette you know it's not it's not just these these few I know how to control very well and put away anything that I deem weak, 
but really starting to embrace every ounce of me as important. Um, so I think the artistic world has a little bit more of a grasp on it than the athletic world. Some sports can be almost robotic and emotions can get in the way of your robotic performance. So I guess it's learning to balance being a human being and being a machine. Um, it's not a clean, there's no clean answer. I don't think, unfortunately. No. It's such an empowering discernment though. And I'm thinking about last night, like watching the Olympic trials, the gymnasts and the camera close-ups, like right before the most probably important routines of their life are like, you can see the pores of their skin, you know, and then there's jumbotrons of their performance being reflected back at them in real time while they're in the middle of it. And the world's eyes are on you. And, you know, that pressure can take a lot of different manifestations. Like you don't have to be on the world screen to feel like under the spotlight of oppor- you know, of pot- opportunity or potential for opportunity. And um, not to like go morbid, but this past week we were celebrating my grandmother's life and the pastor spoke to this idea of, um, you know, the, the Bible verse, like you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And he was like, you're not walking through death it's the shadow of it. And you can't have shadow without light. And I just like kind of took that excerpt from, from his, uh, from his talk and just thought like kind of meditated a lot on that idea of like, we signed up for lives in the spotlight, like Broadway stages, ballet stages, skating rinks around the world, the Olympic stage, the biggest stage of all the Olympic stage. And you were under this massive spotlight and that does not come without massive shadow. And the road there is this just constant straddling between the two that as human beings, we are just ill-equipped to navigate mindfully or Mm -hmm. on our own. Um, Right. And at the same time, it's such a solitary journey to the top. So I just, it's so inspiring to hear the work that you're doing and that like individuals are doing to really redefine and redesign what that journey can look like, how it can feel, how it should feel. Um, because I think in a, it might, however sensationalist it might sound like, I do believe there is a world in which that's the energy people bond over and not Mm -hmm. the masochistic haters going to hate self-sabotage elbows out fight to the finish that we've somehow been able to survive um, not necessarily thrive. Yeah. I have, a, I have a few thoughts on all of that. That was beautifully put. I, um, yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm trying to figure out where to start with this. <laughs> I think the shadow, um, what I've learned is that I used to beat it mm-hmm. and hide from it no hide it. Mm-hmm. My compartmentalization skills became, so strong that I could just bury the parts of me I didn't want to look at. And over time, it just, that container fills up. And whether it gets you to achieve your goal or not, you're still going to have to face yourself at the end of the day. Hmm. And like I've had to, there are some parts of me that I've had to revisit that I really (laughs) did not feel comfortable doing. And I did not like, and I'm not proud of, and I sacrificed and, I never understood this, but I sacrificed part of my soul to get that achievement. And I didn't have to. 
And I think people think that success, you have to sacrifice your soul, like CEOs and people, these big, like you can maintain integrity and you can embrace your shadow and realize that, like you said, there's a balance, there's a yin and yang to everything. And we have to honor the balance in existence and in the universe and the way nature works because it is equally as important as the light because the light gives us something but the shadow teaches us so much as well and i think what i've learned to do is sit with sit with stuff that's uncomfortable sit with my shadow and talk to it and value it and and treat it like a child who hasn't been heard and is screaming to be heard and say i'm so sorry please talk to me and what i've learned is is just i've like i created all these problems for myself i am responsible for call it karma, call it whatever you will, but I am responsible for a lot of the things that I'm enduring right now. And it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. I think we will, as humans, we are flawed and we will always have shadow stuff to deal with. And that is a beautiful thing because if we came to this earth and everything was easy, it would be like, what's the point? How do we ascend? How do we grow? How do we brighten our light by helping others brighten their light? If there's nothing to feel compassion and empathy for then you know it doesn't it doesn't obviously it just doesn't work that way so that's the way it is um i think that i think that there can be a much more holistic and healthy approach to being a high performer with an understanding that you know these ideas and these plans you have are cute i had a shaman tell me this year that plans are cute uh which is like <laughs> just hit me on the head like a sledgehammer i was like <laughs> oh yeah who says i'll even live till tomorrow you know and that's a morbid thought but that is so empowering yeah why can't you live like each day is your last why can you not who says you cannot why can't you live like you're on vacation why can't you savor every single moment like you don't know you're gonna have another and if you bring that into your performance how like how powerful is that to reach people and move them with so much joy and emotion and if you're portraying sadness there's sadness that is going to be over but that's also a beautiful thing like there's 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 so much depth in the human experience if we're living it fully instead of trying to run away from it and i think that's what art gives us art is such a spiritual experience that we get to as humans we have that that fortune to be able to express that experience in, in so many different ways and that's so beautiful and I think if we're fortunate enough to call art our job and the way we identify ourselves in this world why not embrace it fully I'm done I gotta go I gotta go <laughs> well thank you so much sorry that went really deep that went really I've been, I've been diving in a lot lately <laughs> I thank you just Dylan you're like it's just your insights are so I'm so grateful like you are like I want to cry I just feel so seen and heard and just everything you're speaking to feels so resonant in my whole body and I I'm just so grateful like I'm so grateful for the way you're sharing with us it's just oh, thank this you. is incredible this is an incredible conversation yeah yeah. And I think that 
yeah, I don't, I have so many thoughts that I, I can't take. <laughs> yeah. Um, echo, echo all of that. Um, I think that, you know, we're, we're speaking with more and more athletes as part of artists becoming, um, we spoke with Meryl Davis not long ago and, oh, I love Meryl. I mean, just true, true gem of a human. And it's funny because I see your faces and I'm like, y'all were the people on cereal boxes that I grew up like wanting to be. <laughs> and like, I was obsessed with Tara Lipinski and just like the whole, like, even now watching the Olympics, there's part of me that's like, could have, would have, should have been an Olympian, you know? Um, but at the end of the day, we have this privilege of getting to sit down and hear the vulnerable sides of your story that the world doesn't get to sit with. Um, you know, we see those podium top of the podium moments and we don't often get to sit with the cost of what it took y'all to get there. And to be fair as well to everyone listening and watching, like that Olympic performance takes a lot of different shapes. It's not just performing in the Olympics. It's performing in how you show up in your day, in the relationships that that journey brought you and will continue to bring you. And whether you are an athlete, an artist, it's, it's the privilege of getting to live out our lives and how do we show up for that privilege. And it's just so humbling to be able to sit with you guys and connect with you on the most human of human levels with absolute superhuman beings. Um, so thank you for your time and vulnerability and wisdom, hard, hard earned and hard won wisdom. Thank you for sitting here and sharing it with us. Oh, thank you so much. Those are very kind words. You guys are wonderful. I absolutely love what you're doing. I think, you know, this is so cliche, but the world would be better if more people were doing what you're doing. And, um, it's, it's powerful performers, uh, athletes have such a capacity to be leaders and learning to do that from a healed place and an in tune aligned place is so needed yeah. in the world. And um, yeah, I applaud you and I, I'm grateful for what you guys are doing. I'm grateful for being on with you guys in this conversation. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Dylan.